in Belgium you have this cliche that is used by top executives that people have to go back to the office because they say, you know, you have the water coolers and the coffee coolers and it is at the water coolers and the coffee coolers that, that, that the magic happens, that innovation comes. And I think that is partly a lie. I think innovation, well, when you go to the water cooler and the coffee cooler, whom do you talk to? It's about colleagues that you already know. And of course, talking with colleagues is extremely important, you know, to talk about kids and your hobbies, um, because it's about bonding and creating, you know, trust. But it's not about innovation. If you want to be innovative and talk with friends or link with other people on LinkedIn, talk with people from other organizations. So I think it's like kind of the, the opposite, like the water cooler and the coffee corner is emphasizing what I call, I'm sorry for the word, like incestuous research and development. You have to go outside and not stay inside. In this episode of Digital Workplace Impact, I had a chance to chat with Isabel de Klerk. She's the founder of Connect Share Lead. And in case you're yet unfamiliar with Isabel, she is a trend catcher, a fire starter, a sparkle architect, and of course, a respected author. Isabel just released her third book this year. It was originally published in Dutch and coming this September, the English version of Hybrid Working Manifesto is due out. And I have to say that it was truly fascinating chatting with Isabel today, albeit our experiences and life paths have been quite different. We quickly discovered that we are kindred spirits in how we think about the world of hybrid working, among many other things. Importantly, we discovered that the process of hybrid working has to really start with a bold dream about the future of the knowledge worker. Working backwards, hybrid working needs to be grounded in a few foundational ideas. One, hybrid working is not about homeworking. It's about distributed working. Two, hybrid working is not just the flavor of the moment. It's actually been around since the 80s. It's actually experiencing a new wave, one that's powered by enhanced social technologies and, of course, the age of COVID. Three, hybrid working needs to become a grounding point for slow thinking and asynchronous collaboration. Four, hybrid working is not set in stone. Ways of working absolutely need to be discovered and shaped by employees and their team managers. And last but not least, hybrid working is not about establishing ultimate freedom for the individual. Rather, it's about finding a healthy balance between the individual, the team, the organization, and the customer. And the combination of the four are at play to drive a combination of a human-oriented and results-oriented approach that ultimately creates maximum value for the customer. So with these ideas in mind, join me now for a fascinating conversation with Isabel DeClerc. Happy listening. So Isabel, I am just thrilled to have you in the studio today. And of course, we have my colleague Steve Bingle to thank for a warm introduction some weeks back. And as I always do, um, 
I spent some time going through your bio to learn a little bit about your background. And one of the favorite discoveries uh, that I made is um, in how you describe yourself. And you use language like uh, you're a trend catcher, a fire starter, a sparkle architect, and an author. And yes, indeed. <laughs> and these are all things that you've evolved into with time and of of course, experience and a level of tenacity, which is always true of practitioners in our circles. And so, of course, I have to unpack that a little bit with you before we dive into our, our key topic today. And for starters, I'm curious to know, looking back, what you wanted to be when you grew up, because that's always an interesting grounding point. I think that when I was a child, it was not clear for me yet to whom I wanted to be and what I really wanted to do. And, um, but, but I have to say that your, your question really made me think and reflect upon my professional life and who I want to be. And I don't think it would be possible to get like, well, to summarize who I am and who I want to be in just like one minute. But I surely would like to, uh, to talk about three elements that thing that I think that really influence the person that I am now. So I would like to um, to give you like three elements, three things. Um, one thing about my childhood, um, another thing about my studies at the University of Antwerp, and then one thing that happened when I started working. Um, so the first memory goes back to my grandmother. You have to know that I spent a lot of time with my grandmother when I was a child. And you have to know that she was like a feminist in French, we say avant la lettre she was married and she was a mother of three children but she also had a full-time job and um she was even gaining more money than her husband and you have to know that my grandmother she told me three things she said that financial independence is crucial certainly when you are a woman then she said that if you really want something you just have to work very hard so life is about determination and tenacity that's the word that you use and I really like it and then also the third point very important is that she taught me the importance of a network and you have to know that I remember a scene sitting around the table with her it was like in 75 so I was just like seven years old and she told me Isabel we are going to write Christmas cards together for those people I used to have a good relationship with when I was headmistress at my school. And she said, and I never forgot, Isabel, building up a network and continuing to learn by keeping in touch with other interesting people, that is very important. And just you just have to know that I was like seven years old, but I never forgot about that. So that was when I was a child. And then at, at university, I studied languages. I studied French and Spanish because, well, I thought at that time that I wanted to be a language teacher. Um, but it was only later on that I really understood why I liked studying languages. I, I was interested in the power of storytelling and how language helps us. And that is something that I really like. You know, language helps us to shape our thoughts and also to meet other people from whom we can learn. And there was also another element. I like, something that I really like is that I like discovering patterns, like a kind of a harmony and a repetition of structures. 
And that is exactly what grammar does. So grammar is like mathematics. So it brings language down to formulas, to something that is easy to understand. And you could tell me, yeah, but what does does have to do with the work that you do? Well, in my keynotes and in my workshops, I always try to drill down apparently complex content into easy to understand structures and information. So there was my grandmother, then there was uh, the power of languages. And then during my first professional experience that was at the University of Ghent, I worked in a language center. I found out a horrible thing. I found out that because I did not have a manager position, I was not allowed to do a call abroad because that was something that was reserved to those who were managers. And that even later on, I was not allowed to have email because email was only for the managers. So it is in that period that I really became very interested in the power of your knowledge sharing, um, the magic of having easy access to other people and information, and also about the good and the evil of management styles and leadership. And then suddenly it was 2016, the rise of social technologies like LinkedIn and Twitter and Yammer. And you have to know that in these technologies, all my favorite topics came together because it's about building up a network in a proactive way in order to keep on learning and without having to pass by a manager who maybe will block you access to information. It's about self-leadership. It's about empowerment. It's about the power of language that helps you crystallizing your thoughts, that helps you grow and to develop yourself. And that same year, I met a guy on Facebook and he told me, Isabel, you should write a book. And I thought I started, he was joking. And I even was a bit angry with him because I thought like, well, you know, mind your own business. But then, yeah, my first book was published one year later. And I'm also very grateful for the people that I have met on um, social, uh, social technologies because they also helped me to become who I am now. I hope that is a good answer to your question. I think it absolutely is. I'm I'm just so intrigued by this legacy that you've brought into the discussion today. And um, certainly I can see why things like trend catcher are part of the language that you use and, and certainly authorship because uh, you've written multiple books now. Um, but you, you nested some other roles like Firestarter and Sparkle Architect into the mix. So when you look at the legacy from which you came, grounded in your experiences with your grandmother, uh, your education and such, yeah. how did you end up with such an eclectic mix of roles? They're not ones that you would normally cobbled together, um, certainly it sounds like they, you know, emerged with time and experience. I think they emerged in uh, in time. And I think that I think it's a beautiful thought to think that not everything has been put in stone from our birth, but that you have like, you know, that you have like this growth mindset and that you know that if you are open into the world and if you really pay attention to the signals that pass by, signals in forms of books and articles and podcasts and other people who pass by, that you can grow and that you can do other things. This being said, 
you have to know that um, I am rather proud about the fact that you said that these different roles are different roles because I thought it was rather uh, normal to combine all of them together and you made me realize it is not that easy so I, I, I do like to be an author and I think that if I look at the different um, how do you say that the different roles that I play that my favorite role is the one of the writer um, because you can reach a lot of people well, I, I do not know why, but it's maybe the role that I'm most proud of. Well, of course, that's one of the reasons why we're here today. One of the hottest topics in our industry circle right now is the, the notion of dynamic working. And earlier this year, you published a new book entitled Hybrid Work, a Manifesto, and it couldn't be a more timely read. And I know that this book is going to be released in English in September. And I guess I'm curious to know what does this topic have to do with knowledge sharing and self-leadership and lifelong learning through technology, which I know are key things that you talk about very regularly. Yes, indeed. So my first book, um, the title was Social Technologies in Business. And by the way, um, the Digital Workplace Group CEO, Paul Miller, um, has written a chapter in the book. You have to know that my second book, in fact, has nothing to do with management, but I have published um, a collection of short stories, but that was only done in, in Dutch. So the third book, The Manifesto, is in fact my third book. And um, it is only after having written my third book that at a certain moment, I saw like a clear link between the first and the third book. And because I, I, but I just only came to that conclusion after having written, written you know, the, the third book. So let me elaborate on that. The magic of technologies like, for example, LinkedIn and, and Yammer and Twitter, the essence of social technologies is asynchronous communication. Um, I take LinkedIn as an example. For example, so you post something on LinkedIn. First of all, we cannot push people, like for example, an email, we cannot push people to read your message. So you have to make sure that your message is clear and concise and that you go straight to the point. So it means that it's not about, you know, doing things in a very fast way. It is what I call, it's about slow thinking. You have to make time to make sure that your message is a really a good one, a concise one. And secondly, the reader, the receiver of the information, he decides when he or she wants to react. So he does not have to react right away. So he can take the time to reflect upon his answer. Again, it's about slow thinking. So if, if well used, LinkedIn is about taking a step back. It is about slow thinking. And so this taking a step back, this pondering, and making more time for reflection, that, according to me, is one of the essential elements of hybrid work. So yes, I see a clear link between social technologies and hybrid work. And so hybrid work starts by not letting ourselves be dragged down by the daily ground. It's about taking a step back and asking ourselves a series of questions. For example, how should I use my time in a way that I can create maximum value for a customer. So it's about your, what I call high value activities. 
Another question is, what should I be doing with my colleagues and with my customer to create that high value? And what kind of interaction do I need? Synchronous communication, asynchronous communication, and where can I do so? I have to say that in Belgium, hybrid work tends to be reduced to um, remote work, to working from home. And in general, in Belgium, it's about two days or three days working from home. And um, managers, they are now asked, in fact, to call their employees back to the office. And I think it's such a shame because, of course, hybrid work is also about working from different locations. But we should not reduce it to two or three days remote work. It is also about, you know, taking time for reflection, slow thinking. It's about taking your time to see how you can create value for a customer and how you can do so alone and with your team. I think that's such a powerful insight. I can tell you within my own experiences as part of the team within Digital Workplace Group, our leadership has been quite creative in thinking about creating those pockets of time for slow thinking or deep thinking. On a rolling six-week basis, we have something called quiet weeks. And essentially what that means is that we eliminate all internal meetings for that week. And um, very often our uh, group managing director, Helen Day, will ask us all to share how the week is progressing when uh, we're in the middle of a quiet week. And what I end up finding is that I use those weeks to do some... Um, thinking about not only content for this podcast series, but I also use it for proactive networking. Much of my tenure inside of DWG has been behind closed doors with members. But those quiet weeks have allowed me to branch out and to connect more widely within our industry circles. And what that brings back to DWG in terms of the client value is additional insights, the art of conversation through sessions like this. And uh, of course, you know, uh, bringing in new voices to to enrich the storytelling that you talked about earlier. So um, I think you're quite yeah. right in, in highlighting the fact that we really need to think very carefully about putting aside time to step away from meeting madness um, in order to think and also collaborate would be the other thing that I would add to the mix and to bounce ideas off of other people and to co-create new ways of thinking about the, you know, the high value client activities as you put them. What I like about what you just said is that there is a link between um, slow thinking, so the quiet weeks, as, as you called them, Uh, But in fact, being quiet and being slow is all about being proactive. So at first sight, there is like uh, uh, these two elements do not go together, but in fact, they they do go together. So you take your time in order to be faster afterwards. So it's all about proactivity um, and and, and being convinced about the the magic of self-leadership and building up a network in a proactive way. Yeah. Interesting. Very interesting indeed. And so your book puts forward seven suggestions, seven key tenets for hybrid working. Uh, Before jumping into the content, isn't there some level of contradiction between the title manifesto and then the suggestions that you make? Yes, indeed. And you have to know that I really did it on purpose. 
And in fact, the idea, I have to admit that I have stolen it from, from somebody else, from another author, um, from a Nigerian author, and her name is Himamanda Ngozi Adichie. I do not know whether I pronounce it well in English, uh, but she's a famous author. And so one of her books has the following title. The title is Dear Iawere or A Manifest Manifesto in 15 Suggestions. It is a rather small book, and my book is also rather small, and you can find also her content on YouTube. But when I read the book a couple of years ago, I immediately knew that I was going to do something with this idea of, you know, you have the manifesto, you are very clear about something, and you have, like, clear ideas and insights and want to convince other people. But on the other hand, she said, like, you know, you have these suggestions, and, you know, you want to help people. Um, and so, yes, I am. You have to know that I am extremely convinced and firm and determined about some elements about hybrid work. But on the other hand, in the book, um, and so by using the word suggestions, I also suggest that I do not hold um, the ultimate truth. But here again, I have to say that I am a bit ambiguous because these suggestions, they are all translated into imperatives. So maybe it's not really a suggestion, but... Yes, I really like this reference to, um, you know, the other author and this um, uh, this contradiction between a manifesto and the suggestions and then the imperatives in the titles of the suggestions. Fantastic. And so what is it that your readers will discover when they pour through this book? Of course, I cannot summarize the whole book, but I would like to, um, to take this podcast you know, to give you like five key ideas. The first idea is the following. It's about, you know, that I like languages and I like words. And so the first idea is that I hope that people will not use the words working anytime, anywhere or remote work anymore. And I advise that people should use another word and the word is distributed. Because the words working from home and telework, they suggest that somewhere else there is like a kind of a central location. For you, it might be London, and for Belgian people, it might be Brussels. You know, the central location, which is actually more important and where the real work gets done. But if we use the word distribu distributed work, in fact, it suggests that work happens at different locations. And most importantly, that these different locations are valued equally. So that is idea number one. Idea number two, um, you have to know that I have some, let's say, enemies on social media. And one of the things that they say is that they say that hybrid ways of working is like a hyped, um, a hyped topic. That is, they say it is something hip and trendy. And then one of the things that I say in the book that it is not something hip and trendy, I say or I explain that hybrid work, in fact, is already a rather old concept. It is like a kind of a wave, a wave that has been prepared uh, by other waves since other waves since the 80s of the last centuries. That is idea number two. And then idea number three, I would like to make the readers conscious about the tyranny of immediacy. I would like to make my readers conscious about the negative effects of the dominance of um, synchronous collaboration. 
And I also give concrete examples in the book on how to make more room of reflection, slow thinking, asynchronous collaboration, etc. So that was number three. Number four, I emphasize the fact that nothing is set in stone yet. And so the ways on how to work together in the future in a hybrid way is still to be discovered and it will have to be shaped together with clients, employees and team managers. And then to end number five, um, I also, and that is really important, I want to highlight the fact that hybrid ways of working is not about ultimate freedom of the individual, individual because that is well, like one of the arguments that is always used by people who are enemies of hybrid ways of working. They say it's about ultimate freedom for the individual and it will not work. I say, no, it is not about ultimate freedom for the individual. It's about finding a healthy balance between different um, actors. You have the individual, you have the team, the organization and the clients, and all of them have to work, to work together. So the four of them are um, at play. So like five elements that I wanted um, to highlight about the book. And then, of course, the rest is to be discovered by reading it. Of course. And so hybrid working is very much the hot topic of the moment. So tell us what's unique about your book specifically in telling a powerful story. I think that a lot of management management books, they are rather boring to read because they are not concise enough and do, they do not come straight to the point and they are too long. And so uh, one of my readers told me that it is possible to read a book in like two hours, this book in two hours. So it means that just after having read a book in two hours, you have a lot of um, concrete uh, insights. What my readers also say is that they like this mix of references to uh, other thinkers and, and research, but then translating all to this um, into very um, concrete examples on, for example, you as a team leader, how, how you can start thinking about hybrid work with your team members. And it is also, let's say, it is very funny to read. And so you have to know that my first uh, chapter, um, there is a reference to my to my husband um, who likes to, uh, to be a good cook, cook and so I, I i mix all of this with hybrid ways of working so it is it is easy to read but of course it took me a lot of time to write that because you know they say easy reading is damn difficult writing and you have to know that when i write things i always um speak out loud so because i want to hear whether the sound is well whether the, the rhythm is is okay um, so in that way, so it is concise, it is funny, it has a lot of references to other authors, to other books and research, but in the same way, it is very practical too. I hope that is like a list of um, enough arguments to read, to, to read the book. I certainly think so. And, and of course, highlighting the fact that you humanize the experience by you know, bringing examples um, from your personal life into the mix also helps to yeah. enrich that story. Because ultimately, um, the world in which we live requires work-life integration. Yeah, 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 yes, indeed, yeah. One of the things I'm thinking about, Isabel, is our audience. And of course, our primary listening group is really digital workplace leaders and practitioners mm -hmm. and their teams. And earlier we, we talked about the fact that you have seven key suggestions, or we later called them imperatives, um, within your book. And take a moment to 
pull out for our audience what you think um, they need to do to put these hybrid working imperatives into practice? I think that the first question top executives should ask themselves is the following. Why would we implement hybrid ways of working? Because I have the impression that in Belgium, a lot of organizations, they jump on the topic because, well, other organizations do so, but they do not why they are doing so, you know, and this is like, you know, Simon Sinek start with why. Uh, but I have found a very beautiful um, example. Uh, the organization, the Belgian organization I refer to is uh, DELA. Um, and what they say is that um, hybrid ways of working for them is a way to shape a human-oriented and result-oriented organization. And they say these are not two separate elements, but they are interwoven. And so... Hybrid ways of working is a way of making our employees and the customers happier. And, and it, it, um, it makes sure that we can make uh, our organization a healthy one and a productive one. And I thought that was, um, you find a story about it also on my, uh, on my website. And I thought that that was really like a beautiful image also for the employees of this organization to think about when it's all about hybrid works. But I, I do... I do want to emphasize that in most organizations, there is not this answer to the question, why would you do so? Um, as if the question has not been raised. Um, so do think about the why, because the why is like the answer to the why is like really connecting your employees. Um, another thing that I really liked in the story of Dela is that they said, we are not going to tell you how many days a week you have to come to the office. They said, no, we are a very, you know, a result and a human oriented organization. We have this warm family culture. So we presume that seeing each other um, in life physically, we presume it is also important to shape this human and result oriented organization. But you with your team, you will decide yourselves how many times a week or a month you want to come together. But the why and the vision is, is crystal clear. So that is point number one. Point number two is that I think that team leaders should sit together with their team members and they should go through um, a list of questions and then questions. And the first question I would like to suggest is the following. So which are our high value activities? How do we really create value for our customers and for our company, for our clients? And in, in my work with, with organizations, I have heard from teams that answering this question is like a very positive and energizing exercise to do because it emphasizes the fact that you bring value, that you add value for other people. And there is this um, research done by an American professor, Michael Steger, I refer to him in the book. And he said that what brings happiness and meaning in work and in life is that people know how they contribute, how their work contributes to the realization of an objective, that transcends themselves as an individual. And that is such a beautiful thought. So this 
exercise how do we create value by doing which kind of activities which we which are these high value activities i think it is a starting point um, with your team so the starting point is not or which activities will we meet together physically that only comes after question number two those high value activities this meaningful knowledge work because i talk about knowledge workers this cannot be done in like um, 10 minutes or 15 minutes. It needs um, longer uh, uninterrupted uh, time. So one of the concepts that I really emphasize in the book is the importance of focus time. Like you said that you have your quiet weeks. I hope that knowledge workers have the ability to focus um, each day, for example, like just two or three hours and so that they have the right not to be available all the time, but to be able, you know, to do this slow thinking. So to create value. So think about how many hours do you want to focus time and, and how will you organize uh, that? That would be that question number two. Question number three would be how do we want to interact and so I was referring to the, the dominance of synchronous collaboration. I think there should be more room for focus on an asynchronous collaboration. So you could have um, a critical um, look at the way you, you have your meetings up until now, these dominant synchronous moments of collaboration. So how could you make sure that you have less meetings and that they are better prepared? And all of this is well explained in the, in the book. Uh, and so how many hours a week would you like to have this synchronous communication, et cetera? And so then you have the question, if we meet physically, what will we do? But for me, that is the question that only comes at the end. The first question is, how do we create value? Um, with 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 uh, you know which kind of um, activities and that is like a positive exercise to do with your team. I couldn't agree more, Isabel. I can't tell you how many times I'm talking with industry professionals and they talk about the fact that they are double and triple booked in meetings and throughout the entire day and. Uh, it means that either they don't have time to do that deep thinking uh, because they're just literally running from meeting to meeting or mm -hmm. they don't have time to get things done. And I think we need a relentless focus on how to use our time judiciously. I think the technology is starting to put more information in front of us to call attention to the fact that either someone's living in their inboxes or spending too much time in meetings. And so while some might say on the surface that feels a little bit like um, Big Brother coming into the picture, I think mm -hmm. you, know, you have to create a level of awareness. I can tell you on a personal Indeed. level, I actually color code my calendar because there yeah. have been moments in time where the number of internal meetings that I had were overwhelming. And so by color coding, I became hyper aware of how much time I was spending with the team internally versus events within the DWG member circle. Mm -hmm. And then client meetings, either current or prospective. And so um, typically I, I have the client meetings coded in, in green uh, because mm -hmm. I want 
green lights throughout much of my week. And so I am conscious when I do my planning two weeks out, when I need to rebalance my calendar and move things around. So I know personally, I'm asking that question all the time to make sure that as I'm connecting, I'm, I'm balancing the equation correctly. Um, and so, you know, that's a practice that I've uh, encouraged others, whether in, you know, mentoring or managerial roles to do the same. And so it feels very much like we're kindred spirits the more we talk. Yeah, about um, analyzing the way you spend your week, I think um, that uh, you have a tool that is made by uh, Microsoft. It is. I do not want to, to to do a promotion of any kind of tool, but it is called My Analytics. And in fact, what it does is like it just gives you like a kind of a mirror. You know, like how many hours a week are you stuck in meetings? Do you plan focus time in a proactive way? Um, do you have like enough um, time uh, in between meetings and, and uh, things like that? It is just so important that we take a step back um, and to be more yeah, conscious about the way we use our uh, our time because I'm convinced about the fact, and that is in fact like a kind of a danger to be a self-employed person <laughs> uh, because you know you have you always see like everywhere a, a lot of uh, opportunities. But I think that it's not only true for me as a self-employed person, but also for employees. Um, if you want to make sure that we stay sharp and healthy, it is important that we also do other things than working, even if we are passionate about our work, because then you are like a more equilibrated person. You know, you should, you, I'm not all, uh, I'm not just like, um, the self-employed uh, person um, passionate about hybrid ways of working. I'm also a mother. I'm also, um, well, I have a husband and I have friends. And so I have to develop myself in, 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 in these different uh, domains in order to make sure that I stay sharp as a professional. But it also means, it also means that I want to make sure that the eight hours that I work every day that that work is done in an efficient way. One day there was this guy on Facebook who said like, yeah, I do not like structure during my days. I like chaos and even I work at night and then I have meetings all night long and then that kind of conversation. Then I thought, um, I do not want these kind of things. I, I think that we have to make sure that we, we work, but then that we can stop working with a nice feeling of having being productive and having created added value for somebody so that we can stop in time and that then we can do other things. Um, I think that's that's also an, a thought that, that, that I want to give to other people. Yeah, that sense of um, thinking about life as a almost a portfolio of activities where, you know, one thing feeds the next um, mm -hmm. and, and gives us that headspace to... Um, support ongoing learning as as well as that thinking time uh, is incredibly powerful. And I think sometimes the greatest innovations come from outside of our work time because Absolutely. it's in those gaps Absolutely. in between that um, the, the magic can happen. So I couldn't agree Absolutely. more. Absolutely. Uh, speaking about innovation, I would like to add this. In Belgium, you have this cliche that is used by top executives 
that people have to go back to the office because they say, you know, you have the water coolers and the coffee corners, and it is at the water coolers and the coffee corners that 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 the magic happens, that innovation comes. And I think that is partly a lie. I think innovation, well, when you go to the water cooler and the coffee corner, whom do you talk to? It's about colleagues that you already know. And of course, talking with colleagues is extremely important, you know, to talk about kids and your hobbies, um, because it's about bonding and creating, you know, trust. But it's not about innovation. If you want to be innovative and talk with friends or link with other people on LinkedIn, talk with people from other organizations. So I think it's like kind of the, the opposite, like the water cooler and the coffee corner is emphasizing what I call, I'm sorry for the word, like incestuous research and development. You have to go outside and not stay inside. And that's very much what we talk about within our member circles. When we benchmark, as an example, we want a diverse array of geographies, industry verticals mm -hmm. to be part of the equation so that, yes, you understand where you are vis-a-vis -vis your peers, but very often that innovation comes by dipping outside of your own industry um, and looking into what others have done and then bringing it back in new and different ways to make it work for your organization and deliver the value based on the clients that you have and uh, the culture and chemistry of the team um, that, that you influence with those new ideas and new ways of thinking. Mm -hmm. So, Isabel, we're getting close to the end of our time together. I know you close your book by sharing your dream about hybrid working. Tell us about how that dream came into be uh, came into being and and what it is. You have to know that that the idea of talking about the dream, in fact, was given by my husband during one of our walks in the park and at the during the day. And he said, yeah, maybe you should do something with this idea of utopia, you know, the book written by Thomas More. And then um, I was, I, I have never read the book. So I was having a look at the book and I thought it was like, hmm, maybe people will say that I have like some kind of communist ideas that I want to give. And so I said, no, I'm, I'm not going to use that idea. But then I thought, I do have a dream. And then, you know, the, the John Lennon song, you know, I, I have a dream. And I thought, OK, so what would be like the dream? And so the dream is that organizations have a clear um, vision on why they want to install hybrid ways of working. And then I hope that they want to combine the human oriented and the result oriented uh, vision. Um, I have this dream of, of managers who are truly interested in their team members and who um, invite those team members to, um, to think, to reflect upon their values, upon their strengths and who they want to become. Because there, of course, I was influenced by Peter Drucker, who said that um, knowledge workers, they should also manage themselves and they should think about their values because if there is a, a match between your individual values and the values of the organization, then you will flourish and then you will uh, you, you will be like a rich professional. And, but, and then I, I think it's not all about be, uh, managing oneself. It's also about the leader who encourages um, his employees to reflect upon those things uh, on strengths, on, on values and uh, et cetera. And then you have the individual themselves who 
Um, in my dream, I'm not um, reactive or I'm not always in reactive mode, but take more like this proactive mode who want to develop self, self-leadership um, and who are aware of the fact that they have to be in the driver's seat of their professional development and of their professional luck and um, that these employees are people with a, a growth mindset. And so I hope that these people will make enough time, you know, to connect with other people, to learn from these people, um, etc. Because you, you also have to know that my I have um, a lot of people in my family who died when they were rather young. So you have to know I'm 52 years old. And uh, a lot of my uncles, they died when they were 52. And even my two grandparents, um, grandfathers, they died when we, they were 52. So, and I am 52 and I think like, wow, this is like, you know, every day that I get is like a kind of a bonus. It's such a cliche, but we only live once. So we should make sure that we are happy and that we, that we do something useful. And what you see as useful might be different for, 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 for every one of us. But yeah, let's make some beauty and let's make some, let's add some value. And for me, making beauty is in writing things and, and inspiring people and uh, making podcasts like this one. What a lovely idea to uh, cap off our time together. (laughs) And so, Isabel, um, we've covered lots of different things in our time together. Have we missed anything? Any final thoughts? Any last words of advice you wanted to share with our audience? People who love hybrid ways of working, they say that we should maybe stay more at home to do work. And they kind of demonize the office, the central office. And I think maybe we should not do that because mm, the danger now is that people see the central office as just a way to meet other people, you know, to have brainstorm activities, workshops, etc. But I think that not everybody at home has the opportunity to have a quiet place to work. And so I hope that offices still stay will be the place where people can also do focused knowledge work so this is a kind of a a cry a cry for help to all those people who are like you know like managing their real estate to not reduce your offices to a meeting a meeting place i think that would be a pity make sure that there are also some places where individuals can do focused knowledge work because they uh, well they have the right to do so well said isabel i have to thank you for such an interesting and engaging conversation i certainly hope that we'll stay connected from this point forward um, but In the short term, I want to thank you for taking the time to come into the studio for an early introduction to your English language version of Hybrid Work, a manifesto. And of course, we wish you every success with the launch in September. Thank you very much. And so thank you for having invited me. And so the English version will be um, ready on September 6th. Um, so then I hope that a lot of people, of course, will, will read the book. And we will certainly be talking it up in our circles as well in preparation for that. So thank you once again and uh, look forward to following your progress, Isabel. Thanks so much and bye for now. Thank you very much. Bye bye. 
Digital Workplace Impact is brought to you by the Digital Workplace Group. DWG is a strategic partner covering all aspects of the evolving digital workplace industry, not only through membership, but also benchmarking and boutique consulting services. For more information, visit digitalworkplacegroup.com.